I'm very aware when I do these talks that I tend to talk about us as individuals, our own particular personal experience of karma. But I'm also very aware that there's a lot more levels to it than that. And particularly for relationships, I think we need to bear in mind that we aren't really individuals. We do belong to groups of souls uh, rather than family groups. I think it's the the groups of souls that are important in relationships and I'll talk a bit more about that. I wanted first of all to look a little bit at what karma is because for me it's not just the the sort of biblical concept of an eye for an eye, you know, which is very judgmental and, and very harsh. It's much more that we set things in motion or we fail to do things. Remember that little bit, <laughs> very important. We don't do things and then we reap the rewards or consequences later on and we have to look at what has happened in the past in relationship to what's going on now and that I think is something that is really important because I see an awful lot of people as you can imagine and so many of them either have the attitude I can't help it, it's my karma and they kind of go, you know, real sort of helpless I can't help it stuff or they have this feeling of this is what is written this is what is going to happen particularly in relationships uh, and then they get very upset because it doesn't happen or it doesn't happen the way that they think it ought to happen and for me karma is a lot more flexible than that I think we're learning a lot of lessons and we've got to do some things which we in this very short-sighted body that we have now would regard as wrong or mistakes in order that we learn so particularly in our interaction with other people. We might feel that we're making a lot of mistakes, but in the context of our overall soul development, which this is only a tiny little blink of an eye, this one life, you know, we're actually getting it right, but we don't feel like we're getting it right. And we can be very hard on ourselves. So bear that in mind as as we go through. Now, I want to ask you a question before we we really get started. I want to ask you how many of you are sort of actively looking or thinking about having a soulmate? Um, And, you know, would really like to be, yes, we have one brave person who says yes. (laughs) Because I wrote a book a couple of years ago about karma and, and astrology. And in the course of that, I look back over all the work I've done over sort of 20 years, and probably 60% of the work I do is about relationships. 40% is sort of individual, where am I meant to be going? What am I doing wrong? Why aren't I getting where I want to be? And the other 60% is, why aren't I with the person I want to be with? Why am I with the person I am with? And, you know, how can I find the person I want to be with? And my experience in this has sort of evolved and I have an an ongoing story which I tell about soulmates and each time I have a bit more to add it's my cautionary tale about soulmates now 
most people feel that their soulmate is the person who's going to make them feel better, complete. When I meet my soulmate, it's going to be wonderful. Well, for one or two lucky people, that might be the case. But the people who land up on my desk and at my workshops, it's not actually the case. And a, a friend of mine who started out as a client has a saying which you know I want to share with you and talk about. She says, your soulmate is the person who's here to teach you the hardest lesson. Now I change that a little and say, who's here to help you learn the hardest lessons. And it does seem as though our soulmate is the person who actually loves us at a, a soul or a spirit level and therefore if we need to learn something particularly difficult they will be the person who will actually help us learn it and my cautionary tale kind of brings in a lot of things which are to do with this this friend of mine phoned up one day about four years ago now I suppose and this very American very sort of Texan drawl comes on the end of the phone and says can you help I've just met my third soulmate and he's dying of cancer. So I said, okay, I'll see what I can do, you see. Well, as I got to know her better, it turned out that he wasn't just dying of cancer. It wasn't that simple. That, that would be too simple. He was dying of AIDS because he was gay and she'd met him. She'd been told that she absolutely must meet this man who's going to be in London. She was now living in London. Must meet. They met, crossed the room, boom, this is my soulmate. And then the next day he said to her, but we're not going to have very long because I've got cancer. And then eventually he said, well, actually I've got AIDS. Now, the reason that this story is particularly interesting is she had already met a man who had died of cancer, who she felt was her soulmate. And when I first met her, that was all I knew about this story. But having just been in America and, and spent about six weeks with her, I now have um, quite a bit more of the history of it. And it does illustrate all the things that happen to people. The idea in, in Plato is that we all have one soulmate. We were part of a whole, that whole split off and we've spent the rest of eternity trying to find the other half. It's a nice thought. Somebody that I'm in touch with says that's actually your soul companion and they're up there and we're down here so in this life we're never going to get together. I can sort of believe that. <laughs> but I had a an interesting variation on that. I was doing some work about eternal triangles and the picture I was shown I feel sure was symbolic. Uh, I do tend to see things in, in very symbolic terms uh, but it was just feasible that this could have happened on some other planet anyway. I was shown a, a place, another planet, where people lived in bodies but it was very different to being in a physical body and when they wanted to reproduce they could actually split themselves into two which was the, the soulmate thing but if they wanted to have a very special child if there was a, 
a very special spiritual soul waiting to be born then they would come together and they would produce uh, a body for that child but there was some sort of accident it looked like a nuclear holocaust type thing as I was seeing it but I'm pretty sure this is symbolic and because of that what happened was the people split into three and there were two sort of belonging together bits and then this odd bit that didn't really belong but didn't belong anywhere else and I was told that this was the, the basis for all the eternal triangles that are in the world and I, I, you know, I sort of present it as a, a kind of symbolic metaphor for, for a lot of what goes on but what was interesting was since then a lot of people have come and said they've actually been given the same information so it's like there's something up there in the collective that is saying this is one explanation for what is going on and there are an extraordinary number of people around now who are in relationships which seem to involve another person there's, there's a couple or two friends whatever and then this other person arrives so it is possible to have more than one soulmate it would appear and Gwen's story to go back to what I was talking about originally is that when she was about 19, 18, 19 she left the sleepy little Texas town where she lived and she went to live in the big bad city and she walked into this office and this man walked in and went I know you you and I are going to live together and you know, she said you know, this little innocent are we going to get married no we're going to live together and within a week they were living together and she said this was as far as she was concerned her soulmate and we've done a lot of regression we've done a lot of stuff on, on this so we have a lot of information about it within about six months the eternal triangle had cropped up which is why it's relevant and he left but couldn't leave it was one of those situations where I want to be with this other person but I want to be with you very familiar stuff I'm sure to a lot of you and in the end he took a drug overdose nobody knows really whether it was intentional or not that's it that's my soulmate gone you know there'll never be anybody else and she ran away and this is important in her evolution and what she was learning she couldn't go to the funeral she couldn't bear to be anywhere near she just literally took to her heels and ran and when she came back five years later the same thing happened she walked into a room there was this man who said you and I are destined to be together we've been together before we'll be together again and she said she found herself going yes <laughs> I believe it <laughs> and this rational part of your brain that, that comes in at this time says what are you doing You know, what are you saying but she said her spirit her soul knew that she'd been with this man before the first date they went on they went to a costume ball and she's in a sort of crinoline type dress he's in the, the southern dress and she was actually asked to go and be part of a film 
because of the way she handled that costume it was so natural and these two look as if they belong in this southern costume <laughs> and one of the first things that I gave her long before I knew about this was a life where she had lost the man that she loved in the south and she's convinced that this is this guy anyway he was a hypochondriac and he was forever ill always ill but it was never very serious as far as they knew and she, they went out together for about four or five years they were going to get married one day no hurry quite happy he still lived at home with his mother and that in itself is an interesting tale which we'll come to and then one day his mother phoned and said if you want to see him alive you'd better get to the hospital quick he's dying of liver cancer and she said oh, no, don't believe it you know this, this can't be true went to the hospital saw him realised it was true what is an amazing coincidence or karma if you prefer the term as I do the mother had had a young child who died of liver cancer age 5 she wasn't able to have another child of her own she was then in her 40s and she adopted this little boy who she said <coughs> and again you know, having seen the photographs I would agree is the absolute image of her first child so both of them died of liver cancer and when I was in the States there was an old film on and in this, I was staying in this guy's room and in 10 years his mother hasn't moved a thing so there's all the photographs and I was looking at this photograph of him looking very much like a sort of 30s, 40s movie star and I'm watching this old film and there is this guy walking about and he is a 30s, 40s movie star who died of cirrhosis of the liver so I have a feeling this is the same guy coming back and that he'd come back as a child but the damage to his etheric body was so bad he developed cancer and then he came back again to the same family and the same thing happened and his mother has never dealt with any of the issues that belong to that death so she is sort of still carrying it and it's just as though he's still there in that house saying for God's sake mother you know when are you going to, to do something about this to let me go anyway to get back to soulmate saga when she realised he was dying she got on a plane and came to England she could not face the loss of yet another soulmate and after his death she married a friend of hers who she also had some very strong karmic connections with that she recognised but she thought she was safe because he wasn't a soulmate she'd be okay you know she wouldn't repeat the same issues and they were married for about four years and then she met the, the number three soulmate the one who has AIDS well he was supposed to die within six weeks he'd been given six weeks to live so she decided she'd better do something about it quick so she came to see me and she came to workshops first thing I said to her was that they had been mother and son before in a previous life and that he had been a very sickly child and that she had forced him to live 
by sheer force of her will and by the herbs that she gave him and the, the um, way she treated him she kept him alive so I said to her the one thing you can't do now is say you must do this you must do that because she was on the phone I didn't know it at the time but she was on the phone fixing up to see this doctor fixing up to see that healer if you do this you'll be better if you do that and so she had to say no okay stop I'll let him do it for himself that was one of her lessons it was one of her big tests now he was an incredible guy I have to say you know I've I've met several people with AIDS and I think they all are extraordinary people they teach us such a lot as well as learning for themselves and he said he felt that his death was partly to clean the planet that was some of what he was here to do was take out some of the energies it was partly a lesson for his parents because he was the third of their children to die and they had never ever faced death they'd never dealt again with any of the issues they'd never looked at what was involved in losing their children they'd never grieved for them they'd just gone end of story we're going to forget that and he said he was determined that they were going to learn through his death that death wasn't something to be feared that it was a stepping stone and he also was very convinced that he had control of his life and we did some work we looked back at the the different lives that had led up to this and I took him to the between life state now I see as I said a lot of things are symbolic and if you go into a between life state you can see what I call the blueprint for the body that you're going to bring back this time Now, some people have it actually unrolled on a table like an architect's drawing other people have models rough sketches all sorts of things but you can see on that blueprint where your karmic dis-ease is where the repeating illnesses and injuries and things that you've had are going to show up and you can see where you're going to have problems see the things that, that need tidying up now for Tom that blueprint was a mess I can remember him sort of saying God, you know, these real sort of American terms were coming out about the state that this um, blueprint was in and everywhere he had a cancer he had the skin cancer it was all crossed out and scratched and messed about so we spent quite a long time sorting that out and tidying his blueprint up and he lived for another three years and during that time Gwen went and nursed him now this is the woman who when after going to hospital and see somebody panicked and fled at the very thought of it couldn't stand illness or anything she nursed him very devotedly for three years at the end of that time Tom said I'm really tired can I go and Gwen said you can't ask me I'm the one person who can't answer that question so Tom looked at her and he said okay I think I'll go I think we've done it all we've said it all we've worked it out if things had been different we would have got married we would have had a totally different life but I feel that we have learned we've grown through it and he died the next day 
very peacefully, very quietly, just popped off to the next level. And Gwen went to the funeral and did her grieving. And now, she says, she's ready for soulmate number four, but he won't have to have cancer or anything else <laughs> because she's learnt the lessons. Now, this brings up lots of points. It brings up the fact that relationship karma is not just with a person that you think you love. It's with families, it's with the people you bump into, it's with all sorts of people. We have two different sorts of karma going on. We have the karma that is personal to us, to me and to the person that I'm interacting with. That's stuff that's come out of other lives that that I and this person have had together. Now you get that a lot in families, you get it in relationships um, that are sexually based, you get it in friendships as well. You then get the other level of karma, which is these happen to be the lessons I'm trying to learn, the things I'm trying to work on, and I just happen to be working on it with you. There's nothing personal between us, but we have the same sort of issues, therefore we can work on it. So those two things are going on. Now with the one where it's personal, this obviously is where you get the most problems arising. You can have some absolutely wonderful relationships and I have to keep reminding myself of that because of course I see all the ones that are disastrous, you know. I don't always see the good ones, um, the ones that appear to be working well. But what I have learned from regressing a lot of people is that the planning stage between lives is very important. There's also that what I call sloppy planning. People at the end of their life will, perhaps they haven't been able to have the partner they wanted or perhaps they've only had them for a little while and they say to themselves, I'm going to be with him next time. It's usually a him, sometimes it's a her, but I'm afraid ladies, you know, we're the ones that are guilty of the sloppy planning rather than the, than the men very often. And then in the between life state, what is there is this imprint, I'm going to be with him but the planning hasn't been done or the planning is done so that we learn the lessons we need to learn but when we get down here we forget and the other thing that can happen is that the other person doesn't agree to this at all and you know the number of people who say I found my soulmate but he doesn't want to know and when you take them back to the between life state there was no agreement that these two people would be together uh, there's a lovely story which I think really sort of sums up what the, the sloppy planning as I call it this lady went back to a very happy relationship and they hadn't been able to get married that was the one thing that bugged her you know she wanted it to be legal and above board and everybody to approve and as she died she said he's going to marry me next note the wording he's going to marry me not I'm going to marry him he's going to marry me and when she got to that bit she started laughing so I said come on what's funny you know tell me she said this man married me this time but he was the vicar not the bridegroom (laughs) sloppy planning now on other occasions it's much more a case of 
there are other things intervening. I mean, I've had people do that same sort of thing and then find that it's one of their children. Or even worse, the, the most embarrassing thing that happened to somebody I know. She was then 40s, 50s, and she met the guy that she was going to be with. But the sloppy planning had led to him being the teenage son of one of her friends. And she'd never met him before. And she said she stood there with her mouth hanging open and her tongue hanging out, kind of panting with lust and feeling totally embarrassed because, you know, how can you feel total lust for a child as, as was appearing to her? And we did a lot of work on that. She eventually became his yoga teacher and his spiritual tutor. And this brings me to another point. It's not always meant to be a sexual relationship. And for some reason, as I'm sure a lot of you will, will be aware, if you meet somebody with whom you've had a very powerful contact in the past, for some reason, the level that it breaks through on is lower chakra stuff. So this wave of lust that she felt is very common. And you know, an incredible number of people write to me and say, from the minute I set eyes on him or her, I had to have this person. And it's that level of contact that's coming through. But very often what it's meant to be is a spiritual contact. And if you can disregard that initial wave of lust and kind of keep out of all the problems that that does tend to bring you, then it becomes apparent what the relationship is really for. So it, it's something that Yes, it may well be your soulmate, but the reason for coming together may be to do spiritual work, maybe to teach each other something, to learn something together. It's not necessarily the ideal marriage partner or you know whatever it is that you immediately assume it must be. And this business of people teaching us things another thing that came up when I was in the States. I was talking to a couple of hundred people just talking about karma and I started talking about karma and relationships and I was saying this thing about the person who loves us enough to teach us the hardest lesson or help us learn the hardest lesson and I was giving various examples and I thought well Actually, considering this is a general talk, I'm getting in a bit deep here. I wonder why. You know, there's a bit of me that tends to monitor what's going on. I didn't think anything more about it. Except that the woman who had organised all of this and who'd invited me sent me a message on the... This was on the Saturday night, on the, on the Monday. I got a message saying, Mary's mother is dying. Well, I thought, okay. So, you know, we, we did some healing and some thoughts for her passing. Then I got a message, Mary would very much like you to come to the funeral. And I thought, well, this is a bit strange. This is a woman I've met once. Certainly didn't ever meet her mother. You know, funerals were the last thing sort of that I really wanted to be partaking in. And anyway, I was working that day, so I sent a message back saying, very sorry, can't come. The evening of the funeral, I was doing an astrology lecture on karma and relationships. And to my utter amazement, in walked Mary. 
she said I've got to come and tell you I've, I've just got to tell you so I said okay you know what have you got to tell me she said my mother was absolutely terrible to me she said she abused me physically mentally she said she never showed a bit of love to me and she said I always thought what have I done to deserve this I must have been a terrible person to have had all this inflicted on me that old view of karma you know an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth she said it never occurred to me that I actually needed to go through that experience she said but when you were talking you said something about needing that kind of experience in order to learn what it was like and to have compassion for other people who were going through it which is the sort of thing I often mention in passing but I didn't remember having said it anyway she said as my mother lay dying she said all, everybody else in the family went out of the room and this woman was unconscious and in a coma she'd had a stroke and Mary said I sat there and looked at her and I said to her mother if you were meant to teach me about abuse and lack of love and various other things she said you did a very good job and I thank you for it and she wasn't being nasty she genuinely felt that this was it her mother opened her eyes and said that's alright dear shut her eyes and died now this is, is something that Mary wanted us to know and again it's something I've had an awful lot of people where when parents or partners or friends were dying that partner or friend or parent has been able to unleash incredible amount of anger hatred they've ranted they've raved they've, they've done everything and that person has been able to take it and has loved them enough to let them leave that behind because you don't want to carry that much bitterness and anger over to the other side and when you look at that in terms of this is a soulmate relationship I love that person enough to do that for them it starts to put a, a different complexion on what we're here for we tend to think I think in relationships that we're here for what we can get out of it for us or we have the exactly opposite thing which is being a total doormat and never ever thinking about what we need or what we're gaining from it but looking at what we can do for the other person and we don't look at it in terms of what's our soul learning is it part of a group of lessons or are we just repeating an old pattern you know are we on a treadmill which is a, unfortunately a very common karmic thing and you know I, I do readings for people and occasionally you know, I'll be doing these readings and I think I can't, I can't say all this you know there's this, this endless sort of repeating it's like being on this treadmill it goes on and on and I think it's so depressing you know but what comes out of my mouth in a reading has to come out I've discovered that if I don't let it out it, it doesn't do me any good and it certainly doesn't do the other person any good you know I can't judge what it has to be uh, and one woman said to me you know it was a, an unremitting saga of karmic gloom which I thought summed it up rather well but what I'd said to her she's an ex-nun by the way she'd been in a convent for about 30 years I'd said to her that she'd never allowed herself to be loved 
and that she finally shut herself away in a convent as the ultimate cop-out you know that was where she was hiding out from relationships and what we did with her was to take her back into the between life state and to take her into whatever name you want to put on it God, cosmic love, divine love the love that is there in deep meditation you touch love that's what we took her into so that she could actually learn to receive love now it's things like that that come up in, in karmic relationships as well if you can't love yourself how on earth can you love anybody else and how on earth can you let them love you that was her lesson you know um, somebody who's desperately desperately needy and greedy for love which is another very common pattern will take anything they're offered in the way of relationships they'll just grab it they'll manipulate they'll maneuver they'll do everything they can to hang on to what in their eyes passes for love it's usually very abusive uh, it's certainly not soul enhancing and growth enhancing and spiritual but it's love I'll hang on to it you know that's another pattern that comes up all of these things are really our patterns they're, they're things in us that we have to find a way out of we have to have to change and very often who gets the blame the other person he or she is not behaving in a way that we want them to and therefore they don't love us etc etc so looking at relationships in a sort of wider context of karma and looking at them as our own learning experience does tend to pick up a lot of old patterns a lot of things that have been happening and I think that is one level of it the next level is the fact that we do belong to a soul group as I said I think actually it's, it's a group of souls who are linked together and I have this kind of hierarchy because it's the o- of levels it's the only way that I down here can understand it so I have, you know, we're all here now several of us will belong to a soul group which is kind of up here and we will be separate but part of that group on another level we are very much joined and eventually of course we all go back to being one anyway but you know I think we have these kind of intermediate states now that soul group is learning it's evolving that's the whole point of it that's what we're all here for basically but that soul group has to evolve now one member here can be learning something can feed back into this soul group what it's learned and the whole soul group will benefit and will evolve so therefore within that group those lessons will have been learnt because one person's learnt them now there might be somebody else in that group who's learning a completely different lesson but they will benefit from that person having learnt it and the whole thing kind of goes up a notch you know and then it becomes a question I think that there are collective lessons the, the, the bigger group you get families who are learning lessons races who are learning lessons 
and you know we, we're contributing to that as well now in terms of what is most difficult I think family karma comes into the category of very hard because things get passed down through families I think we choose our family of origin very very carefully and we choose not only people with whom we may or may not have had karma but people who carry the sort of emotional pattern we need maybe a genetic pattern and we select this family because it offers us something but also we can often offer it something we can resolve the pattern that that family has been carrying and perhaps change it put it onto some different footing and I keep coming back to the fact that we all want the world to change we, we want to see all these things coming in about love and growth and development but the only way we can achieve that is through each one of us uh, and if we can contribute enough then it, it changes another thing that happened at this talk that I was giving in America I've been asked to go on second now I'd only just arrived so second meant that I was talking at 3 o'clock in the morning on our time and I thought, oh, what the, yeah, we might as well. These people want to show a video. But I'm convinced that somebody up there, I think very often there's somebody up there manipulating things, pulling strings, and I'm down here thinking I've got free will. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but I'm actually doing what, what is required. So I said yes, and these two women talked about the earth changes. Now, in view of what's happening in America at the moment, those earth changes are very interesting because behind me was a map which was about as big as two of these windows of America with no middle it had sea right up the Mississippi Basin <laughs> you've seen it haven't you Liz uh, and there was a bit, of, a bit of America there and a bit of America there and these two women were talking about these earth changes and they are going to happen but don't be frightened because we've got a workshop if you're frightened come to our workshop my friend here will tell you all about our workshop. Well, you know, the worst thing you can ever do is bore a Sagittarian. I'm a Sagittarian. By the time I'd heard this for goodness knows how long and seen the 10, 15-year-old video that they showed to back it up, I was getting a bit, a bit fed up with it. So when it was my turn, I sort of stood up and I said, well, I don't know what you're being taught in America. I said, but from listening from that, it sounds as though this is all going to happen to us we haven't got any say in it we can't do anything about it I said what we're being taught in England is that we are the ones who have control over this if we can change if we can learn then these things won't be half as bad if we don't raise our level of consciousness then the physical changes will happen but if we change up here and what, what up here thinks and all the karma that attaches to it then it's going to change and it was so funny because this was an American audience, remember? And they all stood up and started stamping and clapping and cheering and said, yeah, we want to hear this, you know. <laughs> they, they weren't very keen on the, um, this is going to happen to us stuff. So that was what I'd sort of started off by saying. But we did look in, in the course of that talk at the idea that, you know, relationships are not just me and you. They're me and you and everybody else. And if we don't make the changes, we can't go on blaming somebody else and I, you know, I think that, that's something that we need to look at more and more at the moment 
because these changes are definitely coming and for me the end of an age and you're probably all familiar with the end it's the end of the the Pisces age Pisces to me astrologically is is the victim the martyr tries to save the world but usually gets into deep waters very quickly and we've got to clear that level because the Aquarian age is coming in and the Aquarian age is about humanity and taking care of your fellow human being not saying community care Oof, you know, out of my hospital onto the streets right forgotten about you onto the next thing um, the Aquarian age is about actually providing somewhere for those people who are being turned out of hospital to go and things like that but we can't move into that age while we're carrying this huge weight of all the Pisces blame and guilt and martyrdom and victim stuff guess who's got to solve it we have and I think a lot of us most of us certainly within a group like this actually agreed to come back and take part in doing that that we knew that all this clearing had got to take place and through the life that we live and the way that we handle our individual karma and our relationships with friends, family, lovers, groups that's what's going to change the world and that's what's going to clear the karma and that's what's going to let us move into the age of Aquarius so having said all that I'm going to stop talking (laughs) and let you start asking questions or perhaps point to some other part of the topic that, that you'd like me to sort of move on to. I'll let you get your breath for a minute. It's a lot, lot of input. It's very similar, I think. I think the, the family we choose reflects things that we've been working on in other lives. Not everything that we've been working on, just a particular part of it. And when we get here, we forget the, the rest of it and we're faced with in a very intense way whatever the dysfunction is whether it's abuse or just lack of love or you know whatever it is and then that pattern which is our karmic pattern becomes our psychological pattern as well and when we recognize in somebody else what appears to be our most wonderful wanted qualities what we're seeing is is pattern from that dysfunction because you know as as we know psychologically we recognize as oh this is marvelous this is wonderful what I've always been looking for the things that we're carrying inside so I don't think you can separate sort of psychology and karma because I think the two are very interwoven and you will recognize what you're what you're seeking and then of course when you get into it you realize oh here we go again you know (laughs) and uh, that's where it, it stems from <coughs> yes I mean uh, the, the twin soul is that Plato idea where there was one soul which, which split and that is the usual thing that most people when they're talking about soulmates you know, that, that's what they, they would be referring to and I say you know, I initially thought oh yes that's, that's what it is but say the, you know, the experience I've had since sort of over you know, looking at over 20 years is that the, the soulmate can just as easily be a brother, sister, parent as it can be um, a, a sort of twin 
that you're destined to meet and fall in love with, you know. So, to me, this kind of twin soul is what Roy talks about when he's talking about the soul companion, the one who acts as a sort of um, guardian almost to you, but isn't in incarnation. And and that too, I think, is is part of this soul group. Um, you know, I, I think ultimately the soul group is is much more complex than we can possibly comprehend when we're here, because we're so used to thinking this is me. You know, and um, yet I think that the soul group and and the soul mate can include the person you hate the most, just as much as the person that you love the most because they are part of that lesson yes I, I think um, there, there can come a point where the experience is so overwhelming for, for want of a better term that it does kind of clear in one sort of warmth burst uh, a lot of things that have been going on before and, and usually that is somebody who is this person who loves us enough to teach us or help us learn this very difficult lesson because very often what will bring about a catharsis is a meeting with someone uh, and maybe it's only a very very short time and very often it comes in the form of a huge crisis which sort of blows up explodes and then that person is gone but they've changed our life uh, in, in the course of that I think it is I mean uh, my the sort of teaching that I had on this was <coughs> a long time ago from Christine Hartley who was my teacher and she always taught that, that the whole cosmos is evolving not just each individual person and that all these interactions ultimately help the cosmos to evolve and I think there has to be a purpose I think if, if it's just random and directionless there doesn't seem to be any point to it as, as far as I'm concerned I like um, that Richard Bach book um, which I can never remember the name um, he uses again um, a sort of symbolic thing he takes off in his plane with his wife illusion yeah one no it's one I think where, where all the different pathways open up and he goes in and sees what would have happened if he'd made a different decision and a different different thing and you know I mean when you look at it I'm, I'm sure something like that is going on I don't think time is anywhere near as uh, simple as we we believe it is I'm sure that in another time dimension I'm doing something different you know uh, and it, it becomes so complex that my brain just kind of goes into overload and short circuits and that's it you know I can't comprehend it but if you get into meditation or if you get into particularly if you get into the between life state it, during the course of a regression or if, if you do it spontaneously and go into that between life state it all makes perfect sense there when you try and bring it back here and talk about it I mean, you, oh you know you're really in trouble then because the words get in the way because our brains just have to process it I think it, it's something actually that slightly off the track and yet it isn't we, we've been discussing lately a lot of the 
the channelings that are coming through, the stuff that's coming through. Whoever is doing the channeling, whether it's your higher self, whether it's some highly evolved being, all they can do is use what's in here. If you haven't got words and concepts, they can't communicate. And I think what happens is an awful lot of stuff, and I mean, I'm very aware of this when I'm doing the readings. That's where, you know, I get, get this feeling from. I know at times I can't tell people what their past life was like because I haven't got the concepts or the words to explain what was there. And therefore it comes out as a very sort of concrete thing. It, we, we just don't have the, the words for it. And, you know, I think that's why so much of this channeling is about, you know, gloom and doom and disaster. It's because people pick up this image and all of you who are, who are psychic will know, I mean, you know, I spent years being terrified of being psychic because everything that came through was death and disaster. And, you know, if I saw a car crash head-on smash everybody killed, that car crash usually happened, but it was nowhere near as bad. But it's like it comes through at its most extreme. And I think that's what's happening with a lot of the channeling that it's coming through in very black and white. You see a picture, and if you interpret it literally, concretely, the end of the world is, you know, about to happen, whether it's a car crash or what it is. But that might not be what is actually being communicated to you. Yes, I mean, I'm always aware when I'm talking about karma, you know, that, that it's kind of my version of karma. Uh, and, you know, other people have other versions. And mine has sort of come out of, let's say, you know, 20 years. I mean, initially I was taught by Christine Hartley who had probably 40 years experience. So I sort of drew on Christine's years. And then I, I sort of added 20 years to it. But a lot of the things that I believed about karma in the beginning, uh, I've had to sort of throw away because they, they haven't worked. <coughs> you know, things have changed. And either things are evolving at a very great rate or... Um, you know, some of the initial concepts that I had were wrong. I, th- I think it's a combination of both. I think the changes are very great. I think we all now live about three or four lives in the course of one lifetime. Uh, you know, and, and you can't say that um, over the next sort of 40 years um, we're not going to encounter an awful lot of changes and, and different lifestyles. But I think to be dogmatic and say this is what has to happen. I, I think there is free will. I mean, for all that, you know, I do. I laugh about, you know, those strings being pulled up there and I, I think those <coughs> strings are there. I do think that we've got free will as well because if we didn't have, what would be the point of being here? Uh, you know, we've got to be able to respond in a different way and create things in a different way. And when you really get into karma, you, you start to, well, I do, I, I start to um, panic because I realise that what I'm thinking creates what's coming and Margaret and I were talking the way in you know about trying to change thought patterns I, I've been having a, a lot of problems with the publisher I've come to the conclusion that he's definitely been sent to test me in, in more ways than I've, uh, I've realised now but there seems to be karmic stuff coming in and there seems to be a bit of the fact that he just isn't doesn't seem to be capable of carrying out things that he agrees to carry out and then last night it really appeared that he had totally deluded me and conned me and you know there's me with all this knowledge and all this thought about you know what I put out I get back 
driving my car back from Paul chanting the, the sort of mantra bastard you bastard you bastard <laughs> <laughs> and you know I'm sitting here now waiting well what am I going to reap from that you know <laughs> so um, you know I think it's, it's, it takes a while to sort of it is it. oh it is I'm sure I'm sure you know but then uh, I mean I have a, a brother-in-law who says oh if you could just realise this was all an illusion you could pop off to another planet you know and you'd be in some other higher stage consciousness but my argument is as long as we're here we haven't learnt and if you keep thinking this is just an illusion you're not dealing with what you've created <laughs> so you know it's, it's kind of vicious circle you know you, you've got to realise you're creating the illusion but you've got to change what you create and change the response that you make yeah, you you can't opt out and say bye. You know, I mean, this is why I find this idea of you know there's this group of spaceships sitting up here waiting to sort of waft you away. Something in me says no, it's not that easy. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, if it does waft you away, it's going to waft you away to somewhere you've got to face all the same problems and, and difficulties again. You know, I don't think you're going to you're going to get out of it until you have actually learnt the lessons and and you're you've gone back to your kind of spiritual knowledge people do get guided I mean there's no doubt about it the most extraordinary coincidences happen to get people to meet and and get people together and yes I'm I'm quite sure they do meet their soul group but the lessons are more often painful and difficult and it's only when you take people back into formalised or back to before this incarnation started that you begin to get an inkling that yes this is a, a soulmate or if you I mean I look at it astrologically because being an astrologer is wonderful you've got shortcuts you see you, you have it all laid out astrologically as to um, to what's going on and there are definite indications of being part of the soul group or you know, soulmate experience but I think if you need to meet part of your soul group it will be engineered, it will happen and very often people are aware that they are looking for someone or something and when they meet someone who is a part of their soul group it's like they've found that thing that they've always been looking for and the best example I have of this is um, a child, children are wonderful because it's all there, you know, it hasn't been blotted out and um, this was a child of a friend of mine who used to say right from when he could talk you know I'm a little little tot where's my real mummy and daddy you're not my mummy and daddy why am I here what am I doing and where's and he used to ask I can't remember what the name is for this particular name and when his parents used to ask him who is this it's my friend and that was all he could sort of say because he was so small that really what he was saying was too advanced for for his age anyway and this caused the mother especially a lot of grief as you can imagine you know where's my real mummy and daddy especially as he'd been born after she lost a child and had felt that this was a gift and then being rejected by the by the gift anyway he went to school eventually grew up he went to school he came strolling in one day and he said it's alright 
I found him well he hadn't mentioned this for a couple of years so she'd forgotten she said found who and he said whatever this name was he said he's come back as well and he's a little boy like me now and from what we could gather because I, when I talked to him he was quite a lot older he said he has this vague recollection time, it has faded with time that he and this friend had been killed in the war they were I suppose seven, eight you know they were this kind of height children you know they were quite and he his parents obviously had that he was looking for with those parents and this little boy was his very best closest friend uh, and that was who he was looking for and they both incarnated again very quickly comparatively quickly bringing with them of course all the memory of this lack of parents or, or and lack of friend but not the memories of the of the, the death I mean some people bring the memories of the death back very strongly and, and that's there and I think causes a lot of um, the childhood terror and nightmares and things that children suffer from it's usually if you ask them sort of images of, of burning or car crash or things like that uh, and it's memories of their past death which surfaces when they're asleep often it is a past life uh, I mean you know again it's very difficult to say yes because you can pick up things from, from people who are communicating. I once met a, a lovely lady and I wish I knew what happened. You know, it's so frustrating in the course of talking to people. You bump into people and then you, you never hear again. Um, this woman was receiving communications from a group of airmen who'd been shot down in, in Norfolk and was writing a book about it. But she said for ages when it started, she thought it was her past life, you know. Uh, and then she kept thinking, but I was alive in the war. I can't be me, you know. And, and then she realised it was being communicated to her. But I think often it is past life memory surfacing. I mean, I don't believe by any means that every past life that people think they remember is, is an actual physical event. I think we tune into things, we use them because at some fundamental level they're our story they teach us something and I'm a great believer in using what you what you learn I mean that's why I, the readings I do are, are very much you know I read people's past lives but uh, what I'm trying to do is give them something to work with rather than saying this is absolute factual truth although I do believe a lot of them are things that people have experienced uh, and very often spontaneous regressions are so strong that it is something coming coming through. Something that I've been talking a lot about recently because it intrigues me, fascinates me, is the number of people who remember being Judas. Extraordinary. I mean, you know, and I can I tell you, it, it can get you into difficulty because some people believe it so powerfully, so strongly. Uh, the College of Psychic Centers I used to work at has a list which takes two people face to face just it is a very intimate lift <laughs> and when you are on this lift with a little guy who's looking up at you saying very seriously I have to tell you I was Judas and my mother was Pontius Pilate and my brother was the centurion who stuck with spear in and my, this is a bit that I found difficult you see 
my cousin who's in a psychiatric hospital was, you see, by this time I'm kind of desperately trying to keep my face straight because I didn't, didn't want to laugh at him. And I said to him, I have to tell you I've heard this before. He said, but I'm the real one. <laughs> and nothing I could do could shake him. But it does interest me because every regression that I've heard about or done, I've done a couple and I've heard about several others and I've got a friend who works in Holland who's having exactly the same thing. It is not the biblical version of Judas that is coming through. It is what I would say was far more near to the, to the truth. So either everybody is plugging into a collective memory which is surfacing because this is the end of the age of Pisces and Pisces is about betrayal just as much. If you hadn't had a betrayal, you couldn't have the age of Pisces and the Christian religion and all that. Or whether it's that there is a soul group and all the members of that soul group happen to share that Judas experience, I don't know, but it's something that people do. Um, And when I'm working in regressions, I just work with whatever comes up. You know, I've, I've given up long ago trying to direct the course of what happens because I think there's a bit of us that tells us. But people will go off to different different planets, different, completely different places. Well, they create them in their experience. So, you know, is that any different to kind of physically creating it yes we're so used to looking at it from from the individual and I know I do when I'm when I'm talking about it and if you get out of the body whether you do you know an out of the body or you go to past life uh, between life that those distinctions are very very much less the boundaries aren't there now you might all have participated in, in some way well at least that group of people well, the Buddhist version is that we're, we've all got soul aggregates which come together to form a person and then separate and pass on. Now, if, if you think in terms of, I think it's five or, I can never remember if it's five or seven aggregates, say it's five. Those five bits separate after death, go into five more people. Those five people, then all their bits. So you've got 25 bits but it doesn't take very long before a bit of each of those bits carrying that memory is in an awful lot of people virtually all the people who have incarnated ever have kind of come back because it's the end of the age and you know and also I think it's a sort of cumulative effect 